Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Let's face it, the future is now. We're living in a connected cyber society, and we need to stop ignoring it or pretending that it's not affecting us. Join us as we explore how humanity arrived at this current state of digital reality and what it means to live amongst so much technology and data. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. Welcome, everybody, another episode of Redefining Society podcast with me, Marco Ciappelli. And as usual, I have some interesting guests. Actually, I have to say, Dr. Robert Pearl has been here on the show a few other times. He spoke about technology in, uh, in the realm of our society and in particular in the healthcare system. And uh, there's always something new. And today, everybody's talking about is chat GPT. And uh, I was uh, following Dr. Robert Pearl's newsletter, and he had a lot of reference to chat GPT. So I called him up, and here it is. We're going to talk about that. So Dr. Robert Pearl, welcome to the show. Thanks, Marco. It's a pleasure to be back on the show. Looking forward to it. Always a pleasure. And like I said, always something new, some new technology, which is not necessarily new. It's just like now wildly adopted. It's kind of like it's out of the box. And, uh, and it's touching, apparently, every single aspect of our life, from uh, copyrights to creative production to writing to, uh, in this case, healthcare, which it's a topic that I'm not so familiar as much as I could be maybe with the education system or so forth. So really, really interested to hear from Dr. Pearl that has been in this industry for so long and is very well respected. What is the what is your perspective on this? But before we do that, a little introduction about yourself for those that haven't listened or watched every, any of our show before. And uh, and then di dive in. Tell me what's what's going on. Sure. So um, I'm a professor, both the Stanford Graduate School of Business and Medicine. I was the former CEO in Kaiser Permanente, responsible for the health care of 10 million people on the East and West Coast. I have my own podcast called Fixing Healthcare Every Week. I am uh, right for Forbes and do a lot of consulting and keynote speaking. And ChatGPT right now is the hot topic. So in case there's a couple of listeners out there who may not have, who may not know exactly what it is, I think it's always interesting 
to start with GPT. What is GPT? And it stands for Generative Pre-trained Transformer. If you start with the middle word, pre-trained, what does that mean? It means that a vast amount, terabytes of information, almost everything on the internet, every textbook, journal, all the information in medicine has been preloaded. Now, the versions that are out now, GPT-3 and now most recently GPT-4, only go to September of 2021, but they'll ultimately load the other pieces sitting in play. And that's very similar to me of a medical student. You spend four years as a medical student learning as much as you can. And then what it means to be a transformer is that there are parameters, millions of rules to take this information and apply it to generate what is now gonna be the next word, the next idea. Now, why do I think it's gonna be so important in medicine? Because this is exactly what doctors do. They learn a lot of facts. They then talk to a patient. They figure which of these facts to apply to a problem and they generate a diagnosis and a treatment plan. Now, I don't want anyone to get confused what exists right now, I think of as almost a toy, although we'll talk maybe later, a lot of doctors are using it because it's helping them find diagnoses they otherwise might miss. It's allowing them to double check their thinking to find the most problematic uh, complications that could arise, but it's not yet in any way at prime time. And this is a challenge that happens with technology that grows exponentially. As you well know, this whole uh, GPT was introduced a few months ago, and when it was first introduced, it was able to pass the qualifying exam, the licensing exam that doctors take, but just barely, a score of 65. Two months later, a similar version from Google now has a score of 85. Why is this so important? Because it's not what ChatGPT can do today. What's it going to do in 10 or 20 years? Moore's Law says the technology doubles every two years. If that's the case, the tool that doctors and patients will have a decade from now, 30 times more powerful. And 20 years from now, a thousand times more powerful. It is not even conceivable to me that humans can keep up. We don't evolve at anywhere near that pace. And I'll add one more piece. Medical knowledge doubles every 73 days. What human can keep all that information in his or her head? For ChatGPT, it may take a lot of energy or time to load it, but it's not a particularly difficult task once that has occurred. Yeah, wow, full full of points here. And uh, I, I, wanna, I wanna make a reference here to something that, that we talked about in one of our prior conversation about the status of the uh, the medical community and how sometimes they may not be the first one that want to adopt a new technology because they are kind of maintaining a certain you know way of doing things but from what you said at the time which you you, you mentioned and i want to recap this that it's not a good thing for the medical profession of course because you need to embrace new technology but also i i guess you you can't of course follow it and embrace it blindly is not the solution of all things. And this is, I think, of all the chat GT, GPT conversation I've been having is it's a tool, right? So 
in one of your notes before we decided to have this conversation, you you kind of refer to this as the new stethoscope, like a big revolution. So it is a tool. How do you see this to be not fear, but embrace both from the patient side and the medical profession side? Marco, I would differentiate what I will say in the first few years from ultimately, and ultimately it could be five years, 10 years, or 15 years. We're not talking about forevers. Uh, in the early time period, there's no question that, the, that a physician working with ChatGPT will be able to provide better care than either ChatGPT alone or, by the way, a physician alone. And I think of this very much like residency. Again, I don't know how much you listeners know, you spend four years in medical school, and then depending upon your specialty, you spend maybe another six years training. When you're an intern, you're not given carte blanche. Every order you write has to be reviewed. Every diagnosis you make has to be confirmed. There's an attending physician who looks at that. That's how I see ChatGPT in the early phases. It will give a lot of good ideas, a lot of information, but you should have a doctor also overseeing it. And before you go ahead and decide to get treated in a certain way, get medical approval. But if this technology becomes 30 times more powerful or a thousand times more powerful, a time is going to come when people are going to go there for at least straightforward information if not actually complex information. And what ChatGPT will be able to do is provide what we call in medicine, precision medicine. You know, if you look at how we approach a problem, you know, we differentiate young kids from, I'll say, uh, very, very elderly individuals. But there's a difference between being 20, 30, 40, 50, uh, between being in very good health or having diabetes and maybe uh, asthma and a couple of other conditions, you have your family history, won't be long till we load in your genetics, all your medical treatments. You can start to have a very precise tool. Now, if you're asking how do people protect themselves today, the answer is you have a physician who is gonna have to look at whatever information you have, although you can become much more educated asking the right questions if you have this data coming off of a generative AI technology. But at some point, those paths are going to cross. And how will we know it? I'm not exactly sure. I think what we'll see, as in most new technologies, is that some people will grab hold the first shifters, the first changers at the cutting edge, and then more and more people will do it. And after a certain number of years, probably a relatively small number, people will say, of course, we always did it that way, not remembering what it was like on the first day of that transition. I know there is always that thing like, we've always done it like this. And they're like, well, until when? Until the last time you change, and then you think you've always done it like this. And now this change is happening really, really, really fast. Um, let, let's go into um, tool in term of knowledge, right? I like to make that distinction versus uh, action, right? Because one of the things that people fear when we talk about artificial intelligence is that all 9,000 of 2001 Odyssey, where it actually makes decisions, it locks the astronaut outside and it's like, bye-bye. So 
I think the fear is like if we give all the power to AI to make decision and act, then uh, what if it makes mistake? So you can say, well, doctors, engineers, uh, people make mistakes too. So I like this idea of working together. It's almost like an extra brain, but a very, very powerful brain. How how do you see these actually to get into, I don't know, the, the, the surgery room or integrating with other uh, kind of advanced technology? Sure. You're asking a very important question. So let me back up first a little bit and have listeners think about the uh, smartphone, the iPhone. You know, I remember when my dad, the first year it came out, he bought an iPhone. And what did he do with it? He put it in the trunk of his car. And he kept it <laughs> Just there in, in case. case. Just in case he had a problem driving his car and he needed to call someone. That was the only application he could see for this phone. Now you go forward 15 years. How much of the retail you purchase do you get through your phone? You know, how much of the um, way you drive, where you go, the GPS, the roads you take, uh, dating apps. I mean, these things weren't even imaginable way back when. You know, your banking. What, what happens if they get it wrong? You can lose all your money out of your bank. Well, this is the kind of change <laughs> that people do. And actually, most people feel more comfortable and trusting in the application than in the te- than the person in the bank, the bank teller. They feel better buying it online and having it delivered the next day than counting on a human being to make all those arrangements. This is the transition that happens. As we said, some people are early adopters and they're willing to take the chance. At some point, it's just enough experience. So we like to think, well, wouldn't it be better if we had the ordering, the retail ordering and the person doing it at the other end? No, the retail ordering becomes solid enough. Now you asked a couple of other questions I think that are really important. First, the knowledge. You know, do you want the most up-to-date knowledge base? Technology will be able to do that better than humans. We already said it's every 73 days that it doubles. No one can adopt that. But you know, even the newest textbook is a couple of years old. The journal articles are less old. If you go to every conference in the world, maybe you're even more up-to-date. This technology can have that information. But I think what it really can do, that's even more so, is to continually be learning. Now, the current tools don't, can't do that. They don't have enough, we'll call it active memory to have knowledge long enough. These are just, these are technological problems that can be solved. So imagine if the technology, and we'll talk about it, probably a couple of different ways it could happen, and patient safety, I think, is a big, important part. But imagine if the technology can follow a doctor working with a patient who's in the hospital, has monitors, and can be looking at the data coming off of the monitors, can be following the care provided by the nurse, can be following the lab results, can see the physician's orders, all this information, which is massive. I mean, doctors learn how to use it, but medical students have to spend a couple of years figuring just that out. And now this technology can incorporate all of that. Take someone with a chronic disease. Let's take diabetes, hypertension, the kinds of problems that if not well managed lead to heart attacks, strokes, cancer. 
imagine you have one of these chronic problems. How do we treat it today? You see a physician and you come back in three or four months. But your problem is every single day. Maybe you need to be seen a week from now. Maybe not for six or eight months from now. This technology can be looking at that data, as you say, comparing it to what the physician has recommended and telling you every day how you're doing, indicating whether a change needs to be made. Now, I don't think we're going to get to the point where, at least in the very foreseeable future, when we're going to allow prescriptions to be written by ChatGPT. They're still going to require a doctor to intervene. And there's nothing about the technology right now that's going to allow physicians to be able to, well, to replace physicians in the operating room. But what can it do? It can observe a doctor in action or a nurse in action and decide when the actions that are being taken are not the ones that are most likely to lead to the best outcome. What do I mean by this? Well, mm. the New England Journal of Medicine, which is the leading journal in healthcare, just reported that one in four patients suffers a medical problem, a major medical problem unnecessarily after being hospitalized. And my book, Mistreated, why we think we're getting good health care, we're usually wrong, right about my dad who died from a medical error. What we know is that as many as 200,000 people a year die unnecessarily. There are a small number, we're talking about five, six steps that will avoid a patient who has intubated, who has a tube into their lung from developing a hospital-acquired pneumonia. Someone who needs a large IV inserted into their heart called um, through a, a catheter, uh, an intravenous catheter, to be able to ensure it doesn't get infected. But people often skip steps. This technology, and remember, GT, GPT-4 now has visual capabilities. Yeah, I was going to go there, yes. And can observe what's going on and can say to the doctor, you're skipping a step. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase, but a lot of people said, if you can be hospitalized, bring someone there to protect you. <laughs> and by the way, they just did a study using video in the operating room and are able to identify a huge number of ways that the surgical team was making errors that could have led to a change. They call it the black box, the thing in planes. Mm. When the plane goes no. down, they have to recover the black box. That's the mistakes that are being made. ChatGPT can do that and analyze it continually and be able to let you know where the problems are. These are the opportunities. They're not here now. But again, no. if the technology is 32 or 1,000 times more powerful, it will be able to do that in the future. And that's what I'm so bullish about. I, I love that, and you—I mean, I was just, just thinking about that—the the, the four, the the GPT four with the visual. It's it's a game changer, and the moment that you can actually even talk to that, because right now you're always doing just doing input text, which is kind of like old school in a way, right? But you can play with it. It's uh, it's almost like the original video game when you had like text input because you couldn't create the, the, the graphic of it, and now we are in virtual reality. Um, I think, let, tell me if I'm, I'm wrong, because um, I, I, I want to step into the perspective of the patient, and by, I want to do that by bringing an example that probably a lot of people will understand, because being around for a while, you know, we talk about autonomous vehicle, everybody understand the car. 
Everybody doesn't necessarily trust a car that is a level five autonomous, meaning it does everything by on its own, that there's not even a steering wheel in there. But we do understand and appreciate the fact that if there is an obstacle and you didn't see it, the car's going to break on its own, right? If you're swerving from a line to another and you have a car that can see the lines, it's going to correct. It's going to save your life. It's not driving Formula One, although can because you're actually in a better situation because you are in the circuit instead of in the street. But now we have learned to appreciate this. So we're like, okay, I'm still in control, but I got that help. And when you were describing what's going on in the, could go on in the surgical room, those repeated this step, the human can make a mistake. But if somebody's AI is learning all of this, it can sound an alert and say, stop, this is very trivial, but it can help you, right? So the moment that you present this, and let's not even go to you know a robotic arm doing the surgery. Let's just stay where it is now, that, that the doctor tells the patient, I looked at all your results. I looked at whatever, you know, MRI, scan, one thing and another. I'm actually going to, you know, we're using chat, GPT, or any other AI to do so. Do you have any insight of what the reaction, like what is the, you know, how the patients are going to feel about that? Because psychology is a big part of being in the medical field, right? So let me offer a variety of insights. The first one is as a society, as individuals, we excuse humans and not machines. There are 50,000 people who die every year on the roads. If everyone drove an autonomous car and didn't touch it at all, with no steering wheel, no brakes, no pedals, the car just drive. And there were 500 deaths a year. It will go down way so much. Amazing result, and people will be talking about it's not safe. It's 500 deaths a year. Oh, but point the finger to the one that actually happened, right? Or the one that just happened. (laughs) So I think that this is a transition. You know, we know there are 200,000 people who die every year from medical error, and yet that doesn't shock us if a machine only killed 50,000 people in the same way, we would be horrified. So I think we have to understand the human psychology. We see humans like us and machines we see as being somewhat foreign from being there. But I think, it's, I think the difference between an autonomous car and a doctor is different, which is that we assume that as a driver, you're capable, not saying you do it, but you're capable of 100% safety. If you see someone carrying a bicycle, you realize that's not a car, that's two wheels in the air. Um, it, you know what it is. And getting a machine to know that, it's very, you, obviously you have a long background in technology. You know, 20 years ago, getting the technology to understand the edge of a table took a massive amount of time. That was a problem that couldn't be solved. Being able to recognize a cat versus a dog was a problem that could, these are problems that have been solved, but there's no way that the technology will ever be able to recognize every problem that's there because they're just infinite. As we look at what a, a car is, what a sidewalk is, what a bicycle is, all the changes that are there. So if the, if the belief is that we have 100% ability as humans to always make the right decision, then autonomous vehicles will never be totally embraced. But that's not the way medicine is. 
when doctors make a diagnosis, sometimes it's 100% definite, but most of the time it's a probability because we don't have a test to identify every problem. It's impossible. We'd be operating on every patient every time. And we know this because if you do CAT scans and MRIs of the human body, we find things in everyone that are not really a problem, but they look like a problem. Mm. And so we have to figure out how to sort through what is a problem and what's not really a problem. And that process will be done better by a generative AI than a human brain at some time point because it can consider and calculate all of the pieces and there's no human who will have that ability to accomplish that. And it will always learn because it can take an almost infinite amount of information and data. And so it can get precise to the tenths place and then the ones place and the tenths place and the hundredths place and the thousands place as it has ends that are bigger and bigger and bigger, more and more data and more information. So if you look objectively and you assume that drivers will never make a mistake because they always can see things and know what they are, you're absolutely right. They never should make a mistake and ignore the fact that 50,000 times a year mistakes are made. But when it comes to the diagnosis and treatment, what you're going to see is that an individual patient at some point, ChatGPT, and it's, or it's derivative, it could be a Google product or some other company just as well, entrepreneurial company. Some, some product actually will be able consistently to do better than doctors because it will be able to have, as you say, a lot more knowledge and apply it in a much more refined and a greater mathematical type way. Because essentially medicine is a probabilistic. Driving is not. We don't mm. say... Is that a car or a bicycle? I'm not sure. You know if it's a car or a bicycle. But is this cancer or is this a benign condition? Uh, I can tell you your chances are 99, 99.9, 99.99. The technology will be able to go to 5 and 10 and 15 decimal places. And there are already stories like this about, you know, observing scans and, and seeing a tumor. I think I saw an article just a few days ago about a, a, a tumor that was even so far from developing. But the machine learning, you know, because that's what comes before AI anyway, detected it. And, uh, you know, w would it actually be? Well, maybe not, but it was definitely something that was a cancer cell. So to have this on top of uh, the experience of the humans, which but you said it. I mean, we make a lot of mistakes. I think we're expecting too much from human anyway. And then we forgive much easier, as you said, <laughs> if, if it happened. Do you, see, do you see some difference application or perception and legislation and so on when it comes to more creative approach to chat GPT versus a more scientific lab trial and error type of application. And I, I know we may go a little bit away from the medical and the healthcare, but I, I'm sure you follow, you know, like copyrights issue. Whose fault is if the chat GPT or the AI mess it up? Is it the software developer? Is it the person that bought it? people that train it 
who who's that, right? So do you foresee certain things that may apply from a creative legal um, perspective before it actually will become incorporated into our everyday practice and society? This is such an important point you're raising because it's important for listeners to understand how AI differs from what I'll call algorithmic solutions. I'll explain them in a second. And then how ChatGPT differs from AI solutions or deep learning overall. So if we look at what I'll call an algorithmic solution, this is taking a medical problem, let's say specifically how much insulin to give to a patient, and taking human experts who are going to use their best thinking to create a tool that now will take a set of information and make a recommendation. That actually has to be approved right now by the FDA. It actually could be patented, as you say. It's something that has been humanly developed and it's a very, I'll call it narrow box. It's a particular application for diabetes. You can't use that application for asthma. You need another application for asthma. You can't use that for cancer of the pancreas is different than cancer of the lung. Conceivably, it's a common cancer methodology, but not likely. So we're back into what we normally think about from technology. You have an idea, you create a company, you develop something, you patent it, you sell it for that particular application. It needs regulatory approval. And if the regulators don't like it, you can't sell it. ChatGPT is totally different. It's like saying, can you patent the idea of telephoning people? Mm. It's a tool that is used by the person. It's not an answer given to the person. It's not something that I give you that you use to get a date. It's a tool that you invent to accomplish all of that. And how do you invent it? You just ask the right questions. So what you'd have to patent is the ability to ask the question. And I don't think that's patentable. What you'd have to control is the, uh, the right of humans to ask questions to this machine. Now, there are some things that will be built into the technology, and some people will force it to be built in. So you can't ask the kinds of questions that are likely to lead to massive harm through bullying, through self-perception through other changes. But those are going to be just the most general landscapes that you can't get around. You know, you can't ask how to build a terrorist bomb, although you can go to the internet and find that information today <laughs> or something like that. You can't ask how you can kill a certain patient, a person. I think they're going to build protection and against those kinds of uh, outrageous uh, requests. But to ask, you know, here's my most recent blue, blue coat, blood glucose measures, last 50. Here's my hemoglobin A1C for the past 10 years. Here's the amount of insulin that I take every single day. How am I doing? Do I need changes? What might you recommend? How do you stop the application from doing that? You simply can't. Right. Right. No, it, it make it makes sense. But then, of course, you do something that has a specific and using you know, the telephone in general, you know, you, you build the telephone in a certain way. You build a solution that is focused 
on something and on that you may get a patent right <laughs> and yeah but you, you 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 can't patent what someone says over the telephone that's yeah. the point i'm making yeah 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 yeah, yeah. no i so understand you, could, you theoretically could patent you know it's uh, what's called the parameters these are mm -hmm. the millions of rules that are used and you theoretically could patent some of those inside the device and not but it's such it's so massive and so you know no one's gonna give a patent for a million different rules so you no. might have a particular one that you found i i'm just very doubtful that all of that will occur i think um uh, the, the genie is out of the bottle it's not going back inside and the real question is going to be what concern do these companies have about something negative happening, at least impacting the perception of the product, if not some kind of legal suit. If it's used in some way that leads to bullying, will they be responsible for that? Now, it exists today in social media, so I'm mm -hmm. not sure it's going to be particularly difficult, different. And as you know, right now, there's a moderate amount of protection that it's seen to be that of the user, not that of the technology itself, whether it's Facebook we're talking about or another type of application. But this is even more general, as I say, it'd be like trying to limit what you can say over your telephone, not the telephone, no. but what you say over the telephone. And I have trouble imagining that we'd let that happen. If you say no. something over the phone and someone's on the other end, they're going to hear what you said to have a filter and a block sitting in the middle. I don't think Americans would accept that. <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, a lot to think here, and I know I already took enough of your time, and I think you came up with, with some very, very important scenarios and something that I think is easy for people to understand. But another thing that I tell people, I don't know if you agree with me, while we all talk about ChatGPT, we try to figure out what it is, it's still, in my opinion, a big mystery because whenever I play with that, and just so people know, the transcript and then the summary of this conversation will be done by chat GPT because, you know, I can feed and ask to make a summary of that, of course, not making any medical decision. But I think it's so much that we need to discover still. I don't think we have, it's, it's kind of like your dad putting the phone in the back of the car and now knowing, I mean, are we even using 10% of the capabilities of our phone? I think chat GPT is the same thing. AI, we're going to see and we're going to learn as we, as we go. So if there was one advice that you can give to the medical profession, the medical community in, in a, embracing and using and, and, and trying to, to harvest the best that came from, from chat GPT, what, what would that be to well, close? Let me say two things. What we have today is less than 1%. You know, I think you may remember back during the pandemic, we talked about that a virus was, was exponential growth. It was like a lily pond that it would double every day. And if I if it took 60 days to cover the pond and I asked you how much of the pond is covered on day 53, you might say, oh, probably half. The answer is less than one percent. Mm. You know, we're, we're at a, a fraction of one percent of what this technology is going to be able to do. So if I had a piece of advice to people. It would be try it, use it, experiment with it. The biggest thing is learning how to put adequate amount of data and ask adequate, adequate amount of questions in there. I think most people, if you're talking about physicians, it's worth $20 a month. And I, I have no connection with the company, 
But to spend twenty dollars a month to get ChatGPT four rather than ChatGPT three, because already that's so much better. And by the way, OpenAI has next generations; they just haven't released it sitting there. Mm -hmm. That's yep. what I would say. Put in information. Uh, I know a doctor who did that, put patient's symptoms in place, and got a differential diagnosis with a couple of very rare problems. It just so happened the patient had one of those, and he was able to make it. I know another person who took a uh, letter from a patient. A very nice letter and asked ChatGPT to write a response just to see what it would be like. And by putting the entire letter into the, the technology, got a such a beautiful response back out, better than they could have imagined, and then could translate into another language. I mean, we're looking at a at tools that today we can't imagine how they will work. And like every technology, it seems so hard to use until you use it. And then it seems pretty easy to make a major part of your life. That's my advice to physicians, to patients. Don't trust it yet. Not because it's uh, not usable. Remember, it only goes to September of 2021. So it's not most up to date. And it still needs to have a lot of work to refine it, make it more powerful. But just start to use it. And then ask yourself, if it's 32 times better in a decade, and a thousand times better in two decades. What is medical care going to be like in the year 2043? Wow. Perfect. I, I'm with you. I mean, try it because some people just point the finger like, no, I'm not going to trust it. Well, try it. I mean, it blow your mind and maybe you don't like centered things, but it depends on what you ask. It depends on how you use it. I totally agree with you. Experiment. I'll give you one more interesting statistic that came out today. That go, go for it. So they uh, did a big study where they had ChatGPT write a dating profile. I've never done it, so I don't know exactly the details of what I would write. But it had a, a person wrote one and ChatGPT wrote one. And then it asked people which one was written by ChatGPT. You want to take a guess at the percent? Remember, 100% of the ones they showed them uh, there 100% of the ones that were written by ChatGPT, how likely were they to find the answer? Uh, 80? 52. <laughs> Essentially identical. Wow. And now we're talking about describing yourself and your family and your community yeah. and your interests and showing emotion. Yeah. People may not like the fact this technology can do that, but, but to ignore that reality is going to be a mistake. Exactly as you say, how it's going to evolve, how it's going to change jobs, how it's going to, I think, improve our lives, where the problems are going to become, we don't know yet. No. But I think anyone who thinks this is not going to change society as we know it, you're going back to the pre-smartphone day and our nation would never, our world would never go back to that location. I agree. Um, great conversation, Dr. Robert Pearl. I uh, really always enjoy. I mean, I learned so much and, and, and many different angles that I'm sure will let people get to think, let them to think a lot. So I want to thank website, you very much. Website, Robert Pearl. Um, yep. Sorry, the, 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 web, the website, robertpearlmd.com. Uh, we'll have a lot of information. You can access uh, articles on this topic. You can find other information on healthcare questions people might have. And um, I welcome people to go there and 
post comments and let me know their thoughts and ideas if they agree or if they disagree. Yeah, and also a great newsletter. That's how I actually was got the idea of this conversation. And all these links that you just mentioned to get in touch with you, they'll be on the notes on this podcast. So people can just go there, click and get to your website, subscribe to the newsletter and listen to your podcast. Great podcast, by the way. So again, thank you everybody for listening to another episode of the Finance Society podcast on ITSP Magazine. Share it if you like it. Tell everybody, subscribe. And we'll be back with some more, uh, probably chat GPT conversation among others. So thank you, Dr. Pearl, really appreciate it. Thank you, Marco, it's always fun and I always appreciate your expertise. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at Devo.com. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode of If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.